Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by The Queen. Queen Garnet, that is. The Queen Garnet is a Queensland-owned variety of Japanese plum that is naturally high in a particular type of antioxidant known as anthocyanin. Queen Garnets boast antioxidant levels 3 to 20 times that of other plum varieties thanks to their high concentration of anthocyanins. This is a natural antioxidant that gives some plants their rich, vibrant red, blue and deep purple colouring. Although the fresh Queen Garnets are now out of season, there are four wonderful value-added products in the online Queen Garnet store. There's a plum powder, an Australian plum nectar, a probiotic and prebiotic powder, and a probiotic chewable. Head to queengarnet.com forward slash shop and use my 15% off discount code, which is Leanne15, to save some dollars. There's no one food that burns fat. There's no one food that instantly makes you gain fat. Losing weight is all about eating in a small calorie deficit over time. But this doesn't mean that you need to count your calories. Episode 91 on the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast is with dietitian Samar Kulab from Chicago Dietitian. On the podcast today, Samar and I chat all about how to lose weight and actually maintain it. There is so much misinformation on social media, so be sure to tune into today's episode to learn from an expert the ins and outs of healthy fat loss and what is the truth versus what is social media fiction. Welcome, Samar, to the podcast. Can you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got into your career in nutrition? Well, hello, and thank you so much for having me. My name is Samar. I am a registered dietitian here in the United States. Um, Let's go back and let me tell you a little bit about how I got into nutrition, just to give you a little background information. So my parents are immigrants. They did come to the States. They were both working and growing up. We lived in a fast-paced lifestyle with both of my parents always at work, and we pretty much lived off of fast food, pizza Fridays, and just an overall unhealthy lifestyle. My parents both had chronic diseases like diabetes and heart disease. And I knew I did not want that for my future. So I got really into taking care of myself and nutrition, exercise. And I was like, what can I do with this? And I found out what registered dietitians do. So that's how I kind of got into this field. I am now a registered dietitian at a hospital. I also um, work as an independent contractor with another office so that I see my own patients there. And I'm currently doing a lot of work on social media right now. So it's very exciting. Yeah. TikTok's been um, very kind to us both, hasn't it? It's given us a platform to share our messages worldwide. Exactly. It's very exciting. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I really wanted to get you on this podcast because 
You and I both on the regular get questions all about weight loss, all about what do I do once I've lost the weight? How do I actually maintain it? How do I achieve a calorie deficit without cutting calories? There's so many questions we get. So let's start with the basics. What is your definition or can you let our listeners know the difference between weight loss and fat loss? Because I always like to talk about fat loss and not weight loss because I sort of feel that there's a bit of a difference between those two um, or just the wording of those two anyway. Absolutely. So the way that I look at it is weight loss refers to a decrease in your overall body weight, including your muscle, water, and fat loss. Um, Usually this happens with significant weight loss that's done very quickly. Then there's fat loss. Fat loss happens where you're in a calorie deficit at a more steady pace and you're maintaining your muscle mass, which can be more beneficial to our overall health. I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding the difference between that because I have a lot of clients who I might sort of start working with and they're almost quote unquote disappointed with like a small weight loss in the first couple of weeks. And I say, no, that's fabulous because it's actually true fat loss because we're actually maintaining your muscle mass, which is, as you mentioned, a lot of people will lose quite a lot of weight. Say for example, on a ketogenic diet in the first week or two, but a lot of that quote unquote weight is just water weight um, and some muscle loss as well, which isn't ideal, is it? Like we don't want that long term. Yeah, you definitely want to keep a good body composition. You know, our weight can come down, but if we're losing muscle mass, that can affect our health long term as well. Muscle is uh, precious. We definitely want to hold on to that, don't we? (laughs) Absolutely. Now, you mentioned a good point, and we hear it all the time on social media, particularly on TikTok these days. The only way to lose fat is to be in a calorie deficit. And that's all well and good. And I'm not disagreeing with that statement. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. But Can you explain this to our listeners? Because I don't like the concept that this is all anybody's promoting. And to me, in my mind, all we're teaching, you know, the younger generation is how to count calories. Like to me, it just doesn't make sense. Like that's not all fat loss is about. Yes, fundamentally, we need a calorie deficit, but that doesn't mean that we essentially need to count calories in order to achieve it. Especially for the younger generation, I think the focus should not be counting calories and what foods we need to remove from our diet. It's more like, adding those healthy, nutritious foods to our meals. And when we do so, we just naturally decrease the calories and naturally go into a calorie deficit. So instead of sitting there, you know, and counting every little calorie, and you can be in a calorie deficit, but what are you putting into your body? Are these low calorie foods nutritious at all? Because you can lead to nutrition deficiencies with such a low calorie. So it's definitely not just about the number. We want to shift that focus and make sure we're focusing on What are we eating? What is it doing to our body? Are we giving our bodies all of the nutrients that it needs and we're nourishing it correctly? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And for our listeners at home, would you have, I guess, a definition of what a calorie deficit is? Because I think a lot of people have heard that term quite a lot, but might be a bit confused around what does that terminology actually mean? Absolutely. So the way that I like to explain it is basically our body runs off of energy. Um, This energy depending on your age, your height, your weight, you burn that certain amount of energy and you take into consideration the activity factor. Now, this number of calories or energy that you're burning, if you're consuming less than that number, typically you're in a calorie deficit. If you're just eating around that number, you're maintaining your body weight. And then if you go over that number, that's how we are able to gain weight. And then there are some ways, I guess, that we can achieve this calorie deficit in order to promote uh, fat loss. How do we do that without actually counting calories? Because I know there's a big push for counting calories, tracking macros. And I do think that it has a time and its place and it people, you know, having that understanding of basic calories and macronutrients can be helpful, but it can also lead us down quite a restrictive 
restricted disordered eating pathway as well, can't it? Absolutely. So you definitely want to choose whole foods, um, starting there and avoiding having so many foods that have labels on them will naturally put you in a calorie deficit, always making sure that your meals are balanced, half of your plate being vegetables, having the protein and having fiber and healthy fats in your meals will help us naturally be in a calorie deficit. And in terms of, I guess, counting calories and, and being in a deficit, are you, I guess, a fan of your clients counting calories? Is this something that you promote for your clients as a helpful strategy or are you more around the, the lifestyle focus with their, with their nutrition? So really it depends on the person. There are the pros and cons of counting calories in general, maybe for somebody that doesn't have that much background knowledge in nutrition, it's nice for the first couple of weeks just to kind of help educate them and get them a better idea of what's higher calorie, what's lower calorie. But really, it's like I said, about what's in our meals and if we're providing our body with the nutrients that it needs. But let's talk a little bit about the pros and cons of it. So The pros of counting calories to start there is it does provide structure and accountability. Um, It can be motivational depending on the type of person. It helps lead to better food choices in the beginning. Like I said, if they don't have that kind of background knowledge, that's a nice guy to help them get started. And it can encourage you to exercise. Like maybe if your calorie intake is a little bit higher than you expected. Now the cons, which there can be so many cons of this. So, it can be nutritionally incomplete. If we're focusing so much on the calories, you can be like, for example, at 1500 calories per day, and you're not giving your body the phytonutrients it needs, the vitamins, the micronutrients that is necessary to help maintain that healthy body. It can lead to obsessive behavior as well. When you're constantly thinking about calories and exercise, it can lead to eating disorders. So it's important that you're focusing on how you're feeling in addition to your calorie counting in order to sustain a healthy lifestyle. Also, I feel like it might lead to a disconnect. Um, You may ignore or misunderstand your body's cues and signals of whether you feel hungry or not. So it's important that we're also listening to our bodies and paying attention to those cues of when we're hungry and even when we're full as well. And then it can be uh, time consuming and a little bit tiring and tedious for certain people as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's sort of one of the cons that people don't realize is that counting calories can help you lose touch with those signals within your body. Because say, for example, um, you know, so many people are doing 1200 calories to lose weight as an example. Mm-hmm. And I hate that that's such an arbitrary number that floats around online all right. the time because for active um, people, it's, it's far too low for the majority of people. But having said that, if you're, you know, aiming to only eat 1200 calories a day and you're tuning out of or not listening to those hunger sensations within your body some days you just need more food you know if you go to the gym and you do a big leg workout or if you're super active and you're rushing around after your kids all day long versus you have a day where you've got the flu and you're like in bed for two days straight you just don't need the same amount of nutrition as you as you do on a super active day so I think that's something that a lot of people forget is that our nutritional requirements can change on a daily basis can't they absolutely Just like you said, you know, if you get sick and you're missing out on meals that next day, it's going to be a little bit difficult to follow a portion size that's quote unquote recommended for you, right? So it's also very important to have some sort of structure. This will allow you to make sure that you're not waiting too long in between meals because when we do wait too long, by the time we get to our meal, it's we're a little bit more hungry and it's harder to control 
what foods we choose and how much we want to eat. And that's a really important point. Um, I guess as dietitians, we sort of call that the hunger scale, don't we? If we right. were to rate our hunger on a scale of one to 10, ideally we want to stay between that sort of three and sort of seven to eight on that scale. Because as you mentioned, if you get too hungry, you end up making poorer food decisions. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of those high calorie foods are a lot more appealing the hungrier we get. Yes. And then also you can eat too quickly when you're too hungry, which then tips you over to the other side of the scale where then you're too full and you've sort of eaten too much and it's a little bit hard to come back from there. Absolutely, exactly. And speaking of the timing of our foods, I think it's very important that we're taking our time at our meals. So when you said, you know, eating too fast can lead to eating more than you actually need. So it does take 20 minutes for our stomach to send a message to our brain that we're full. So if we constantly eat too quickly, sometimes that delivers response by the time we get that message I'm sure we've all experienced this before but by the time we get that message it's just like oh my gosh I'm in a food coma right so it's really important that when we are having our meal times we're taking our time we're chewing our foods we're not being distracted we're putting our utensils down between bites and really enjoying every bite of our food and taking our time 20 to 30 minutes I feel like is an ideal time for for our mealtime. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And the funny thing is each time I put that on social media, you know, you should be taking 20 to 30 minutes to enjoy your meal and eat it slowly. I get all Mm -hmm. of these negative comments like my meal would be cold. Who can eat that slow? Like that's ridiculous. But that's just how we've been conditioned as a society to essentially inhale our food so quickly. And this is the reason that we have, you know, a 60, 70% obesity problem in Australia and in America, because we're not making great food choices and we're just eating our meals far too quickly and far too distracted as well. Exactly. And speaking of distraction, we can be on the other end of the scale too. So if we're eating too slowly, let's just say we're grazing on something throughout the day, you know, food's going into our stomach and at the same time, food's coming out of our stomach. So it's a way to sneak more foods into us without feeling full. So it's important that it's not too slow and it's not too fast. Yeah, definitely. And I think in terms of fat loss, we really don't want that constant grazing throughout the day, do we? Because a lot of the things that we tend to graze on and drink, for example, can be quite high calorie. I've seen a lot of clients who say, oh, I don't eat much. I don't eat much, but they can't lose, you know, lose fat for the life of them because what they're drinking is super high in calories, you know, iced coffees, um, juices, smoothies, you know, a few hundred calories per, per container. And then what they're snacking on, even if it might be, you know, healthy things like nut and seed mixes, um, you know, veggie chips, all those sorts of things, which you don't think are quote unquote too bad, but the calorie and the energy density of those things really does add up, doesn't it? Absolutely. And see for that type of person, that's why I feel like the first few weeks, it's important to kind of journal your intake or track it just to become more aware of what you're actually consuming. Because there's so many people that are like, I just have one meal a day, I don't really eat. And then when they do track their intake, they're pretty surprised. So it is important that we become more aware of what we're actually eating. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of um, health halos online where you think you're eating a great choice, but until you track that or really understand the nutrition label, it's not that great compared to the alternative. And an example is I was at the supermarket the other day and I was buying um, a bag of potato chips and a bag of um, beetroot sort of chips or like some sort of veggie chip so I could do a comparison on my social media. And the lady at the checkout who was serving me was like, oh, these are delicious. Have you tried them? I eat them for lunch every day. And I was like, yeah, 
yeah, yeah, they're really, really tasty. And I was like, I'm actually a dietitian. I'm doing a post. And she's like, oh, what do you think about these? And I was like, honestly, they're, they're pretty, you know, from a calorie perspective, they're pretty similar to normal potato chips. Sure, there might be a little bit of extra fiber in there and maybe a small amount more nutrients. But, you know, for fat loss, you still really need to watch your portions. And I turned the packet over and there was in the small packet, which a human, you know, an adult human could easily consume that whole packet of chips, even if they were beetroot chips. There was 5.6 servings in the packet. When I explained that to her, she was like, oh, wow. So I think understanding that energy density of food is so incredibly important, isn't it, when it comes to fat loss? Absolutely. And that brings me to a point of I had that experience with cauliflower crust pizza cauliflower crust. So it's so crazy Uh, because, you know, a lot of times, especially with marketing nowadays and keto being so popular, you know, all of these brands are trying to promote cauliflower. And I picked up a cauliflower crust at Trader Joe's and I looked at it and it was crazy because it says cauliflower on it, but there are all these additives to it and the calories on it, it might, like you said, have a little bit more fiber and nutrients, but the calories in it was equivalent to a regular pizza crust. So it was like somebody that's trying to lose weight might pick that up thinking this is a better alternative when in reality, it's probably very similar. Exactly. And what ha- tends to happen is when we're eating a food that we think is healthier, we often eat more, right? Like if we were to buy a normal pizza base, we might only have, say, two or three slices of that. But if we were to buy the cauliflower one, we might have four or five slices being under the impression that because that's healthier, we can eat a little bit more of that. And I'm sure that you come across that a lot as well with your clients. Yes, absolutely. Especially with those types of foods. I mean, I feel like with things like vegetables, yes, go eat more. I mean, it's lower calorie, (laughs) you could do all that. But when it comes to things like those products that are advertised to be the healthier alternative, it's important that we're reading the label and being very aware of what's really in that food. Absolutely. And I have another example. I was in the cracker aisle at the supermarket the other day and I found these, um, I think they were like spinach and something crackers. And I looked on the back of the packet and I was like, oh, like they were green. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I wonder how much spinach is in these. And it was 2% spinach and just like green food coloring essentially to make that cracker green. Exact same calories as something else. But again, somebody might buy those crackers, have them with some cheese on a Friday night and think, oh, these are much better for me. I can eat the whole packet of these crackers with my with my block of cheese. And again, that's probably more calories than an entire dinner meal um, might contain because of what I like to call these health halos where foods appear healthier. So we think we can eat a little bit more of them. Absolutely. And it's really disappointing. I think it all it's all like marketing, you know, so that's why it's important that we're educating people on actually reading the label and understanding what is in that product. And I guess that brings me to my next question for you, which is really around, we talked about, you know, establishing a great relationship with food and a good baseline when it comes to your nutrition, adding in more veggies, half a plate, you know, lean proteins, some complex carbohydrates, that's all well and good. But what do you say, Samar, to the people that say, you know, I'm doing everything right to lose weight. I'm eating so healthy, but my weight won't budge. I cannot for the life of me lose any weight. Um, I guess this brings us back to that whole, you need to be in a calorie deficit in order to lose fat. So eating healthy is a fantastic foundation, isn't it? But what's mm-hmm. your advice for people who say, you know, I'm, I'm eating super healthy, but the kilos won't come off. What do I do? 
You know, I hear this so much with my patients and it's crazy because when we do a diet recall, it's like you're absolutely not in a calorie deficit. So for people like that, one, I would journal your intake and really see what you're eating in the day. And you can be in a calorie deficit and your body, you're not losing weight. And a reason for that could be you're in an early plateau for weight loss and your body's just kind of adjusting to the new normal. So you just need to be patient with it. And sometimes this can be as long as eight to 12 weeks. I like to explain it as like your body's taking a big deep breath for the next step to lose weight. Um, so you also want to take into consideration things like stress, which can play a big role on hindering weight loss, um, your physical activity, your hydration and your sleep. Yeah, all really important factors, aren't they? And I sort of like to say to people, well, if you're absolutely certain that you're sort of in a plateau or your weight's not going anywhere, but you are absolutely eating healthy, maybe look at some of the, the energy density of the foods that you're having, because healthy fats, for example, are a big one for so many people where if you're snacking on a cup of almonds every day, you know, that's sort of 600 plus calories compared to an apple and a tub of Greek yogurt, which might only be sort of 150, 200, the fullness factor is the same from both things, but fats have a lot more calories gram for gram than what carbs or proteins do. Absolutely. And nuts is such a big one. I mean, it's such a nutritious snack, but I feel like people, it's so easy for them to graze on it throughout the day. And when we're talking about calories and losing weight, if they're snacking on, let's say one cup of nuts in the day or a little bit less than that, they could potentially be adding 500 calories more to their day. And at the end of the week, it could be an additional 3,500 calories, which we know that can add about a pound to your weight. So it's important that we're not just just because something's healthy doesn't mean we could just have it on an unlimited amount throughout the day. Yeah, yeah. Having that nutrition understanding um, of the energy density of foods is is super important, isn't it? But I do appreciate that some people just simply don't have the time or don't really want that knowledge, and that's absolutely okay. So any simple tips, I guess, in order to create a calorie deficit without people going and having to write down their intake or track their food in like an app like MyFitnessPal or anything like that? Do you have any simple tips for our listeners in order to elicit that calorie deficit without actually needing to count or track their calories? Absolutely. And I feel like that's so doable. You just have to first, I would say, remove calories from drinks because I'd rather you eat your calories than to drink them. That way you can enjoy mm -hmm. more foods. Half your plate veggies, that automatically decreases the calories a lot. Picking your protein, aim for like a lean source of protein, and making sure that you add some sort of fiber and healthy fat to the meal. Also, if you're having more, choosing more whole foods will also help with the calorie deficit without having to put so much effort into it. And how do you feel about snacking? Because I get clients in two different camps. That, those are the super active who have quite active jobs. They go walking most days. They go gym or exercise a couple of times a week. Then I have other clients who have desk jobs essentially. So they're sitting down, you know, on the backsides, eight, nine, 10 hours every single day. And yeah, sure. They might get in a 45 minute gym session three or four times a week. But when we look at that, it's simply just not enough for them um, in terms of that calorie burn perspective. They're sitting down far more than they're actually moving despite doing it, you know, formal exercise session a few times a week. So is snacking something that you recommend for all of your clients or are you quite select with um, clients that you recommend, I guess, different snacks and amounts for? It definitely depends on the person. Um, that's where I need the patient to be more intuitive and pay attention. Am I reaching for a snack out of boredom? Am I reaching for a snack because I'm stressed? 
Or am I reaching for a snack because I'm actually hungry and dinner isn't until another two hours? So that's where Mm. you need to stop and ask yourself that question and ask yourself if you're being hydrated. Ask yourself if the most recent meal you had was a balanced meal because that can also play a role as well. So those are some things I'd like to take into consideration before suggesting whether or not they should have a snack. Yeah, I think it's so incredibly important actually learning to listen to our bodies, which again, things like calorie counting doesn't really teach us, does it? Or that intuitive eating style where we're actually listening to our body and saying, oh, today I actually do genuinely need a snack because I'm hungry. Whereas the next day you're like, no, I didn't eat any snacks all day. I was really content from all of my meals. There you go. And that's, yeah, it's absolutely very important that we're in tune with our bodies and paying attention to those cues. And that, like I was mentioning earlier is a con of calorie counting is because we're paying so much attention to the numbers that we're not paying attention to what's going on internally. And then in terms of, I guess, like timeframes for fat loss, um, and we're going to talk about fat loss instead of weight loss, because what we're losing actually wants to be from our fat stores, not from our muscle stores, not those water weight fluctuations. We want that fat loss long-term. What is a realistic timeframe for fat loss? I feel like we, you know, we see these covers of magazines and it's like drop five kilos by Friday or like drop 10 pounds by this summer. What is realistic when it comes to fat loss and timeframes? I absolutely love that you quoted it that way. And you're saying fat loss, not weight loss. I believe that one to two pounds per week is ideal. Um, I feel like that's a steady, healthy weight loss. However, we do want to take into consideration the initial starting weight of the patient or the client. Mm -hmm. If somebody, for example, I work at a bariatric center, and if I see somebody that's 500 pounds, they're going to be losing weight a little bit quicker than one to two pounds per week. However, if it's somebody that's on the lower end of the scale, it might be closer to one pound per week, sometimes even half a pound per week. But I would say for around the average person, it's about one to two pounds per week. Now, that first week, it might be slightly higher because we want to take into consideration that we're losing lots of water weight. And for some of our Aussies listening, that's sort of an average of half a kilo to a kilo a week is what we talk about. And as Samar mentioned, it's really, we do get a bigger drop in that first one to two weeks. So don't sort of always have that expectation that weight loss will be linear or that you will lose that exact amount every single week. Because some weeks we plateau, other weeks we go up a little bit if we've got hormones and periods at play, and then we might see a bigger drop one week, nothing, go up a little bit, then another big drop. So consistency really is the name of the game here, isn't it, when it comes to fat loss? Yes, absolutely. And that's another thing that to bring up is weighing yourself. So with that fluctuation of our weight, it's not a great idea to weigh yourself every single day because it's going to fluctuate and you become obsessed over it. So what I like to recommend is that you pick one day of the week. For example, I do weigh-in Wednesdays. And I mean, this is very individualized. Some people don't do well with checking the scale. They'd rather go with how their clothing fits or those non-scale victories. But I do recommend choosing that one day of the week, weigh-in Wednesday, doing it first thing in the morning because it's also going to fluctuate throughout the day and journaling it. Write it down and kind of monitor your weight loss that way. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I'm, I'm the same with my clients. Some of them who really like to see that scale moving, we do sort of once a week weigh or once a fortnight. And other clients, it's really like once every four to six weeks, just to sort of um, reinforce from my own nutrition plans that we're sort of heading in the right direction. But as you mentioned, the scale for a lot of people can really be a detriment. It can really mess with your mind and your mental health and, and set you back quite a lot. So I think that 
as you mentioned, those non-scale victories are so important to have rather than just always relying on the scale. So can we dive a little bit deeper into that and let our let our listeners know a few other non-scale victories um, that you recommend that aren't just the scale? Another thing is that that's where we can make as dietitians, we can make all of these recommendations. And at the end of the day, it really comes down to the person and it's very individualized. That's why it's very important that our patients and clients are paying attention to what works for them. Something that might work for you might not work for me. Mentally, maybe somebody does not like to be weighed every day or every week um, because it can really throw them off mentally. Some people that really encourages them and helps hold them accountable. Um, And for those that don't like to weigh themselves so often, some non-scale victories is definitely your energy level, how you're feeling, your mood, how clothes fit you, your blood levels. You know, maybe if you had high blood pressure or blood cholesterol or blood sugars, being able to manage them more because of your diet. So looking at those as the victories instead of the number plays a big role too, to keep you going and make this a lifestyle for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that lifestyle approach. And a big one where I use for a lot of my clients is performance in the gym. So are they lifting heavier? Are they running faster? Can they do more burpees than they could six weeks ago? You know, are they in the intermediate class at their gym instead of the beginner where they started, you know, a couple of months ago? So I think all of those things, um, when we're training and doing this for that lifestyle approach, because we want to get healthier, fitter, faster, stronger, whatever it might be, is so much more important than doing this because we want to get smaller. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely agree with you. Yeah. And in terms of eating out and weight loss, I mean, or fat loss, should I say, it's it's a tricky one to navigate because, you know, when we're eating out at restaurants and cafes, they would typically put a lot of extra calories in, in their meals to make the food taste better. You know, we get lots of dressings. And I thought about my breakfast the other day that I had at a cafe and I ordered a side of um, mushrooms and spinach and everything was cooked in butter. It came out just dripping with butter. And I just mm. thought, oh man, you can't even get like a healthy side of vegetables these days. How do we navigate fat loss and eating out? Because we don't want to have to give it up. I mean, we want this to be a lifestyle approach and going out for a meal with our friends or family is really, really important. But have you got any tips for our listeners at home to navigate fat loss and eating out so we can still enjoy our life at the same time? It's totally doable to continue your fat loss journey while being able to eat out and enjoy events and celebrations. Some things that I do recommend is having sauces on the side of your meal. Um, That's a really big one, you know, especially when they're drenching our meals with those sauces. Swapping sides. So maybe if they're doing like, let's just say a white rice, maybe you swap the side for a little bit more vegetables or a whole grain. Sharing is another one. Here in America, our portion sizes are so large. So it's really nice to do more of a family (laughs) style dinner and have like a few entrees and all of us share and, you know, put a portion into our plates. And then another big one is taking your leftovers home. You do not need to finish your plate, even if it's so good. Take your leftovers home. You can have them at another time in the day or maybe the next day. Absolutely. And that brings us back and ties nicely back into the whole mindful eating that we were talking about and eating until where I like to say 70, 80% satisfied and not full. Because by the time we're eating until we're 100% full, we've had too much. We're bloated. We're uncomfortable. We feel like we're in a food coma. We need to go and have a nap. And I think that's how a lot of people feel after they do eat out. So being in tune and eating really slowly and mindfully and eating until we're satisfied, that way you can walk away from that restaurant and actually feel really good about it, can't you? 
Absolutely. And that's where we say you need to slow down when you're eating because if we're eating too fast at the restaurant because the food's too good or we're distracted <laughs> with whoever it is we're out with, we can eat more. So taking that time, enjoying every bite, enjoying the conversation with whoever you're with and kind of going from there. Yeah, so important. And then my next question for you is really around like enjoying treats on the weekends and holidays. I get so many questions from people saying, I do so well during the week and then the weekend comes and I ruin everything or, you know, I lost all this weight and then I went on a holiday to Europe. This is clearly, you know, pre COVID. <laughs> Unfortunately, no one's really going to Europe on a European summer holiday at the moment. Well, not in Australia anyway. But in terms of how do we manage these weekends and holidays without regaining all the weight that we've actually lost? And I'm sure that you're going to mention here um, the lifestyle approach that we talked about before. First, I would say you always want to make sure you're incorporating all foods that you love into your quote unquote diet. And remember, like if it's a weekend or it's a celebration, which is going to happen, remember that your progress is not going to be ruined over that one meal or that one dessert. You can enjoy it. But when you do so, just make sure that you're not doing it on an empty stomach Make sure you've had your balanced meal. Make sure you've stayed hydrated. And when you do have it, have it in uh, moderation and eat it slowly. This is where we're doing the mindful eating practice, eating slowly, enjoying every bite. And afterwards, move on from it. There's no need to feel guilty about it. This is part of our lifestyle. This is something that you enjoy. And being able to incorporate all foods you love will make this a sustainable and realistic lifestyle for you. Mm, Absolutely. And I always say to clients, like, you know, if it's weekend eating or something like that, or you're off to a party, it doesn't mean that you have to sample everything that's in front of you. Just choose like the one or two things that you want the most, just because there's brownies and chips and cheese and, you know, all of these wonderful appetizers and that sort of thing in front of us doesn't mean we need to sample everything. Just sort of choose one or two small things, enjoy it because food is always in abundance. You know, we're lucky to live in a country where we have regular meals and snacks or most people do. And I think sometimes we get into that mindset where it's like I have to eat it all while I'm being you know bad so it's sort of like they're on the diet or they're off the diet so I think getting rid of that all or nothing approach to eating and and learning as you said to include all of our favorite foods regularly that way when we are on weekends or on holidays it's not this all or nothing I have to eat everything or I can't eat anything sort of mentality (laughs) yes going into it you should always like be prepared for it and know that I'm gonna enjoy those that one or two entrees or dessert or sides. I know I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to have it in moderation. And let's just say like you're hosting the party and the foods at your house, always have a plan of what to do with the leftovers because, you know, you want to set up your environment for success as well. So the next day and the day after that, you don't want it all around insight and stomach. I'm not sure if you've heard that before, but you want to have a plan for those leftovers so that you don't keep indulging in them. You enjoy that for that one day, that one celebration or that whatever time of um, year it is, and then kind of move on from it. Absolutely. And I'm the the biggest fan of that because whenever I might make a cake or muffins or whatever it is, I'll keep one or two for like my morning tea the next day. And then I'll just re-gift everything else out. Or if I host a party, all that food goes home with all of my guests. I rarely keep anything in my fridge because of that temptation, particularly if like we've had a bit of a dinner party and my friends have brought over six different types of desserts. I just don't need all that dessert in my life. I practically have a desk job these days. I just don't have the energy to, um, you know, I'm not outputting the energy in order to eat six different types of desserts. So I'll always send that home with my friends or my family to enjoy as well. 
Yeah. And physiologically, your cravings are going to be much higher around that time frame for those the next day or two. So it is going to be tempting to go for a second round or a third round. So definitely giving it away is an, a great alternative. And it's not to say that we haven't enjoyed it that night. It's not to say we haven't had any of it. It's just that mm-hmm. maybe we don't need to enjoy that for the next five or six nights until it's all gone, exactly. <laughs> depending on our goals. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That brings me to a really important question around weight maintenance, because, you know, we've had a lot of experts on this podcast discussing, um, you know, fat loss and all the different topics around health, but we've never really dived deep into weight maintenance. So what do we do once we achieve our goal weight? How do we stay there and not actually regain all of the weight? Because I feel like for most people, fat loss can be quite easy for some people. They have no problem getting the weight off. It's actually maintaining it and keeping it off. That's the difficult part. And the part that nobody really talks about, right? Yeah, exactly. Weight, the fat loss is sometimes it could be the easier part. It's maintenance. That's the real work. So making it your actual lifestyle is what we really want to pay attention to because I would say around 90% of people relapse and gain the weight back, especially when they're going on these quick fix diets. So A few things that I do recommend is to have some sort of structure in your day to where you have set meal times. That way you get into the routine of things. I do recommend weighing yourself weekly if that's something that works for you or kind of keeping track of those non-scale victories. Having balanced meals for all three meals of your day is very important as well to help keep you full in between meals. Um, And when you are eating balanced meals and you're nourishing your body so much throughout the day, it'll avoid those cravings and hunger at nighttime, which a lot of people tend to do that in those nighttime snacking. Um, Mm. Avoid grazing throughout the day. Pay attention to what you're eating. Sometimes we get very comfortable when we are at our weight goal. So pay attention to all that you're eating and snacking on throughout the day and always, always incorporate all of the foods you love into your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think it's such an important point where I think a lot of people hit their goal weight due to some sort of restrictive diet. And then once they get there, they're like, oh, thank God I've lost the weight. I can go back to my old eating behaviors. And I think that's probably the biggest reason that most people can't keep the weight off because what they did in the beginning to get the weight off wasn't sustainable because sustainability and making it a lifestyle approach is is the number one tip to actually keeping the weight off long-term, isn't it? When you're making diet changes, one of the biggest things I ask somebody to ask themselves is ask yourself if you're content with it. Ask yourself if you see yourself doing this for the rest of your life. Is this realistic for you? Is this something you see your future self doing? And if it is, then you know it's an appropriate change for you. Mm, Couldn't agree more. And that brings me to, I guess, a question I had from a client who said to me, "Um, I just want to do this juice detox for like, it was some sort of green juice cleanse that promised like, I don't know, five kilo loss in a couple of weeks. And she said, I just want to do this. And then I want to sign up to your program. And I was like, absolutely not. Because all of that weight that you lose is mostly going to be muscle loss and water weight. And it's going to come back on the minute that you actually eat some real food again with a little bit of carbohydrate, because for every gram of carb you eat, your body stores three grams of water. So she's going to think that she's regaining all of this weight after this quote unquote juice detox. Um, And again, that brings you me back to the point you made about sustainability. If you can't see yourself doing a juice detox for the next 12 months or the next five years, don't even jump on that train to begin with because it's not going to last. So I think that we're so 
obsessed as a society with quick, fast results. We want everything rapidly. We want to do it in the quickest way possible. But when it comes to fat loss, that's often the most detrimental way, isn't it? The quicker it goes off, the quicker it generally tends to come back on again. It's also that people look at it that it's an all or nothing sort of thing. So like I'm going all in and, you know, when they do have a downfall, they just kind of immediately crash after that. So it's also not an all or nothing thing. It's a new lifestyle for you. It's something that's sustainable for you. And when you do have, for example, a celebration where you're having a meal that might not be as nutritious that you typically would have, not to look at that as a failure. That is part of your journey and how you react to that and how you incorporate that will determine your long-term success of fat loss. Absolutely. Because we need to be able to, I mean, our birthday comes around once a year. Christmas is every year. There's always going to be, you know, hopefully some sort of holiday. There's a weekend, you know, once a week, those things are things that we need to learn to manage. And if we can't do that without completely going off our diet, then again, it's not going to be sustainable, is it? And the weight loss isn't going to last. Exactly. So I always think that weight maintenance is, and the simplest way I sort of sum it up to my clients is it's doing what you did to get the weight off about 80% of that, still doing 80% of that. So sure, you might be able to taper back on the exercise just a little bit. You won't be able to add one or two snacks in to bring you out of a deficit back to maintenance, but 80% of those wonderful behaviors you were doing to get the weight off, you need to actually continue doing in weight maintenance. Why most people put it all back on again is because they stop doing everything they did to actually lose the weight, which is, I think, the biggest thing people struggle with, isn't it? Actually maintaining those behaviors long-term. Yeah, it's important that when you are in that maintenance phase, you're still holding yourself accountable and you're still trying to follow that lifestyle and not getting too comfortable and incorporating much more foods to your meals, which like we said, can lead to square one. And then you're just kind of yo-yo dieting throughout life. Yeah. And you made a really good point actually about, it just brings me to um, a huge meta-analysis I was reading on one of the biggest weight loss studies I think we have to date. They actually followed up these people. I think it was for a period of 10 plus years, which is huge. And those that had lost the weight and kept it off, they found three important things that they did that meant that they were successful at losing the weight and actually maintaining it compared to all of those other people who had constantly yo-yo dieted and regained. And for our listeners at home, from memory, I believe those three things were consistently exercising, like the people who had lost the weight and maintained it were still exercising four or five days a week. Didn't matter what type of exercise, but they were doing some formal exercise four or five days a week. They were focusing on the quality of their meal. So they were still eating fruits and veggies and actually nutrient dense foods the majority of the time. And the last point, which I found so fascinating was that they did the same thing that they did during the week on weekends. So it wasn't just because it got to Friday night that they ordered pizza, then went on an all out, you know, Saturday, Sunday binge fest and, you know, ordered all this takeout and all this delicious food. What they were eating Monday to Friday was very, very similar to what they were eating Saturdays and Sundays. They still had home cooked meals. They still had a structured breakfast on the weekend. They still did some exercise on a Sunday. And I think that was, it was a really powerful sort of take home message from that huge landmark study that what we do Monday to Friday needs to be very similar 
similar to what we do on Saturday and Sunday, which I think for a lot of people, they really do struggle with because they get into that like cheat weekend mentality, don't they? Yeah, I think the weekend is the biggest weakness for a lot of people. And I think it has a lot to do with during Monday through Friday, we have a lot more structure with your job or with school and we have everything planned out. And then when it comes to the weekend, it's just kind of going with the flow and winging things and not having things planned. So using the weekend or planning for the weekend is extremely important on your journey. Yeah, couldn't agree more. It's a fabulous point to finish on. And then just to wrap up our podcast today, Samar, I'd love to do a really quick true or false section with you because these are questions that I get asked all the time. And I guess they don't need formal discussions. Just coming from someone like an expert like yourself, I think will really help people to go, oh, okay, that was false or, oh, that one does make an impact. So are you happy to do a little bit of a true false section um, about fat loss to wrap up our podcast today? Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, first question for you. To lose weight, you don't need to be extreme. You just need to be consistent. True. Drinking alcohol makes it harder to lose weight. Yes, I would agree with that. Counting your macros and calories makes it easier to lose weight. This is very individualized, so it depends on the person. Um, Like I've mentioned earlier, it can benefit someone in the beginning, but long-term, you don't need to do so. Mm -hmm. Coconut oil burns fat. False. Apple cider vinegar burns fat. False. (laughs) A calorie deficit (laughs) burns fat. True. Low-carb diets are helpful for some. For some, depending on the person and if they have any underlying issues going on. Mm -hmm. The healthiest diet in the world is the Mediterranean diet. There's no one diet that fits all. False. Mm -hmm. Raw vegan treats are better for weight loss than normal treats. False. Depends on what's in there. (laughs) Uh, It's easier to lose weight on a vegan diet. False. One bad meal, example, a hamburger, makes you gain weight. False. Exercise is important for fat loss. True. Weighing yourself daily keeps you more on track. False. Wonderful. You did that so quickly. (laughs) And then to finally, finally wrap up our podcast, any top tips for our listeners at home in order to live a healthy lifestyle long-term? I think that's sort of the recurring theme of our podcast episode today was that you need to be consistent and you need to make it a lifestyle approach. So if our listeners at home are feeling a little bit overwhelmed or they're not sure where to start, if you had two to three top tips for everybody, no matter where they're from or their background, is to um, live a healthy lifestyle long-term, what would your top two to three tips be? My top two to three tips, one would be focus on what nutritious foods to add to your meals versus how much you need to take out. Number two is taking your time when you're eating and becoming more intuitive, paying attention to your hunger and fullness cues. And number three is making sure that you are content and happy with your new lifestyle changes. Yeah, I love that last point. So important because, yeah, if we don't enjoy it, if we don't actually like what we're doing, it's certainly not going to last long term, is it? Exactly. Very powerful message to end on. Well, thank you so much much for all of your time and wisdom today. Where can our listeners find you, reach out to you? Do you do consultations um, worldwide or is it only something that you offer sort of to your American clients? Thank you so much for having me. And yes, so I'm currently doing consultations. We can do virtual visits. Um, You can check out my TikTok. I did post a recent video of where you can find me. Uh, My TikTok is at Chicago Dietitian 
or you can follow me on Instagram at Chicago Dietitian. Um, I also have an email that you can reach me at. The link is in my both my Instagram and TikTok bio. It's chicagodietitian1 at gmail.com. Wonderful. And I'll make sure I put all your social links and your email in our show notes as well for our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. This was a pleasure. 